This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. In downtown Toronto, it's February 22nd, 2015. 35 years ago today, a day that will live in sports infamy, the miracle on ice in Lake Placid, New York. U.S. college kids defeated the mighty Soviet Union 4-3 at Lake Placid in the 1980 Olympics. It's acknowledged to be the greatest sports upset ever, and Sports Illustrated selected it as the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. Gave rise to the famous Al Michaels call, Do You Believe in Miracles? It's a pleasure to have on the Nazawali Sports Hour the U.S. captain and the goal scorer, winning goal scorer from that game, Mike Aruzioni. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. And uh, 35 years ago today uh, was uh, was the day. And uh, you had a you had a reunion yesterday. I, I take it for the first time ever with everybody was present. Of course, the fact you were missing uh, you're missing Bob Suter and, and Herb Brooks. But tell us a little bit about your day yesterday and your reunion. You know, it was it was awesome. Uh, we were in Lake Placid, which I, I am still here. I'm actually leaving in a little while to fly back to Boston. But uh, 19 guys showed up uh, from the team. Uh, as you mentioned, Herb and obviously Bobby are not with us any longer, but uh, they retired Bobby's jersey, and it hangs in the rafters uh, at the Herb Brooks Arena. And uh, we had about uh, 4,000 fans in the stands as we celebrated uh, – our victory, uh, you know, and winning the gold medal. So it was, it was pretty cool. It was really, really nice. Mike, uh, that that was the biggest upset in sports history, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, how did you guys do it? I mean, it, it's just, uh, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Smoke and mirrors. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, I don't think it was. That. Wasn't smoke and mirrors, Mike. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what you remember about. Uh, that Friday afternoon, I know the game started at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and I certainly remember where I was uh, during that game. But t- tell us your thoughts about, uh, about that game, and uh, when did you, when did, uh, what, what Herb Brooks would have, would have said to you in the pregame speech, and your thoughts as the game progressed? Well, you know, I mean, going into the game, I, you know, I, I kind of always tell people, uh, if, first of all, if you think you're going to lose, you probably will. So, I mean, we knew it was going to be hard. Uh, we knew it was going to be difficult. We knew we had to play, a, you know, basically a perfect hockey game. Everything kind of had to fall into place for us. Uh, and as it turned out, it did. Um, but I think, you know, Herb said to us in the locker room before the game, and I know the movie Miracle is this really long speech in the movie, but 
basically he said was, you were born to be a player, you were meant to be here, this moment is yours. And I think that was really kind of, I think in a nutshell what it was. I think for whatever reason, this team came together. Um, it's almost like a, like a perfect storm. Um, we were a good hockey team, and, and that's the one thing maybe that gets lost sometimes in the shuffle here is everybody thinks we're a bunch of guys that you know kind of got together on a Saturday and said, hey, let's play on an Olympic team. But when, when you look at my teammates and, and the success they had later on, 12 of them played in the National Hockey League. Uh, they played over 6,000-some-odd games as a team, uh, as, as individuals. So we, we had some players that could play. Oh, and, so, sorry, Mike, you'd I, certainly, you certainly did have some players that could play, and some, I, I think a couple of them actually played more than 1,000 games in the NHL. Um, yes, yes. I, I wanted to put a, you know, it's called the Miracle on Ice. It's called the greatest sports upset ever. It's called the greatest sporting event of the 20th century. I, I wanted to lay out a little context uh, for perhaps some of our younger listeners. I mean, Naz and I are both old enough to, and to have lived through it, and uh, we lived through some, uh, some Soviet Red Army Team Canada wars in the 1970s as well. But the context of, of 1980, of course, there was the, the political stuff that was going on at the time. But from a hockey context, the year before, people, people tend to forget this. The year before, that Soviet Union Red Army team defeated the NHL All-Stars 6 to nothing in Madison Square Gardens. That NHL team had 14 or 15 Hall of Famers on it. They defeated them 6 to nothing. A year later, that same Soviet Red Army team destroyed Team Canada at the Canada Cup 8 to 1. In the middle of that, in 1980, you guys are a bunch of college kids, average age 21 years old, and you defeated that machine. And uh, greatest sports upset ever, unquestionably. And you had also you had also lost to them 10 to 3 a, a few weeks prior, Madison Square Garden. Yet, when you started that tournament, you th- you guys thought you could win the gold medal. Well, you know, I think when we started the tournament. We thought we could win a medal. Um, we thought we could get to the to the to the medal round, and that was our goal. We weren't thinking about the Soviets; they were in another division. We had to worry about Sweden, we had to worry about Czechoslovakia, and we had to worry about West Germany. Um, those are the three countries, other than Norway and Romania, in our division, and those are the three countries that people thought we could not beat. And we ended up tying Sweden, beating. Um, Czechoslovakia, beating Nor- uh, Romania, beating Norway, and then beating West Germany to get to the medal round. Now, once you're in the medal round, I think as an athlete, you believe you can win anything. And we went into the Soviet game with the thought that uh, if we played well and everything fell into place, we could win. And and when we beat them, people still forget we had to beat Finland on a Sunday morning, a, a Finnish team that had a guy named Yuri Curry, <laughs> who was not a bad hockey player himself. Not bad at uh, all. And, and we were able to beat Finland um, to win the whole thing. So a, a lot of things had to happen. Um, and clearly everybody remembers the Soviet game, and it was an incredible victory, an incredible moment. But we had to do all the other little things in order to get there to win the whole thing. Mike, uh, the turning point, as far as I'm concerned, I thought was the Czechoslovakian game where you beat the Stasny's brothers 7-3. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. People, you know, again, the, the Czechs were the only team that anybody thought could beat the Soviets. And, and I'm not going to say we blew them out of the building, but we beat them pretty handily. 
So I think that was kind of for us as a team a, a realization that you know we were playing well and and we had a chance. And uh, uh, certainly the Czechoslovakian game uh, I, I remember and uh, going into the Soviet game. Um, and I know that I, I you know saw a couple of your um, quotes this week. Um, the Soviets had played Canada two days, uh, I think it was two days before, and, and Canada sort of had a similar team to you guys that year, a lot of young hockey players. And uh, the, Canada, the Canadian team had given the Russians a really good go. Uh, I think it was two days before, and they were up on the, on the Soviets two, uh, uh, by two goals late in the second period. Did that, uh, did that Canadian game give you guys some, uh, some ideas that maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't as, po- as impossible as people thought it was? You know, Canada Canada had them on the ropes, um, and, and I felt, and, and this is my own personal feeling, was if we were in the same position as Canada was, I think we're the one we, we can win that game, and, and and Canada should have won that game. Uh, they just didn't come out in the third period, and kind of things fell apart on them. Uh, and I remember Tom Watt, and, and I said this before, and I said this to people in Canada uh, in a recent interview. He said. And, and maybe, again, I'm the only guy on the team that's heard it or remembered it. He said, if anybody can beat the Soviets, the U.S. can. And to me, that was a shot in the arm. It made me realize that, look, at Canada had him, could have won, did not. But we can if we're ever in that position. And what helped us was the game never got to that. I think Canada lost 6-4, to four, if I remember correctly. That's correct, 6-4, yeah. Our game had to stay 4-3, a 3-2, or 2-1. We couldn't get into a six-goal game with them. We weren't able to score and not able to score six goals against them. Four was probably our number. And uh, what, what our success was, we only gave up three. We didn't give up six. Mike, how influ- uh, influential was uh, Herb Brooks uh, not allowing a letdown after the Russian game? Because it, it, you could automatically go play Finland, and you already won the big game as far as anybody was concerned, and anything else after that was bonus. But how did Herb Brooks influence that game against Finland? You know, it's funny. We talked about it last night. We were all sitting around having a couple of uh, Diet Cokes, mm-hmm. and uh, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Our practice Saturday after we beat the Soviets was maybe the second hottest practice we had all year. He skated our butts off Saturday morning, and it was like, why? We, we just beat the Soviets, Herb. What are you so pissed off at? And, and he just made us realize that we had another game to play. And, and, and I think he did a great job of you know, breaking us down, getting us back to ground zero, and letting us get ready the next day to play a big game. Of course, we're talking. You're listening to the Naz and Woolley Sports Hour on 7:40 a.m. We're live. It's February 22nd. It's 35 years ago to the day of the miracle on ice from Lake Placid, and we're talking to Mike Aruzioni, the captain of that U.S. winning team, and also the gentleman who scored the winning goal in that game. Mike, uh, your recollections of your winning goal? Well, I, I think the bottom line is within. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was just a play that developed. Um, it's a shot that I've taken in practice, you know, uh, hundreds of times. Uh, the puck went in the corner. Uh, Buzzy Schneider dumped the puck in the zone, and, it, you know, he came off the ice. My shift was up next, so he threw it in the, go- in the corner and came off, and I jumped over the boards. And while I was obviously jumping over the boards, uh, John Harrington got to the puck, uh, battled a couple of Soviet players, tipped it up to Mark Pavlich 
who eventually tipped it over to me coming over the blue line. Um, I picked the puck up. There was a defenseman in front of me, and um, I'm not a real smart guy, but it's amazing how many things go through your mind in a short period of time. And I kind of thought if, if the defenseman stayed, I was going to use him as a screen and shoot it. If he came at me, I was going to pass it by him. There were a couple of my teammates on the left side breaking to the net. He stayed. I, I really did have a, the, the whole left side uh, of the net to, to shoot at, uh, on my left, I should say, the goalie's right. And um, the only thing I, I was worried about was because I was going across my body, I pulled it just a little, um, and I pulled it, but it still had enough of the net uh, that I was able to find find an opening, and, and it went in. And uh, it gave us the lead. I mean, there were still 10 minutes left to play. I played against the Soviet teams many times, Ten minutes is a long time, um, but you know we kind of hung on and played really well, and uh, ended up winning. I have to give uh, you credit for something. You were the one who created Miracle on Ice with that winning goal, and uh, it's funny. We, uh, I was involved with the junior team for a few years, and uh, your that movie was on quite a <laughs> bit on our bus. And I got to ask you, how close to the truth is the bag skate after the Norway game? Um, pretty, pretty dead on. Other than me, you know, Mike Rizzo, the United States of America. Um, heck, if, <laughs> I'd have said it after the first one, not an hour and a half. <laughs> um, and we did skate. We skated for for about an hour and fifteen, maybe an hour and twenty minutes. We didn't do it as a whole team. Um, there were only seventeen guys that dressed that night, um, and we didn't do it all at once. We did it in uh, waves of, uh, as you you know, as imagine a practice. You know, uh, units of five. Um, we'd do them for about 15 minutes, and then Herb would blow the whistle, and we'd stretch, and then we'd skate, and we'd do it again. And, and that continued for, like I said, roughly an hour and 15. Um, they did shut the lights off in the building. Uh, the emergency lights were left on, and we skated. And then when we were done, finally Herb brought us in the locker room, and he said, gentlemen, if you play this way again tomorrow, you will skate again. And we played Norway the next morning and beat them 8 to nothing. Um, I want to ask you uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the at uh, the Miracle on Ice game, um, the reaction of the Russian players. Uh, we did, we had the direct. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the uh, documentary movie Red Army. Uh, we had the director of that on our show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, watched that. And, and they interviewed uh, they interviewed Slava Fetisov about that particular game. And it took him about 30 seconds to answer the question because he got choked up. And 35 years later, that's how much that game still means to him. Um, and uh, you were on the ice after you guys celebrated down with Jim Craig and you jumped all over each other. Then you had to shake hands with the Russians. Um, did any of them say anything to any of you guys? Uh, were, were there congratulations? Were there blank stares in their eyes? What was the reaction of the Russians? The, the the second part is blank stares, uh, kind of looking at us like, what the hell just happened? Um, and shaking hands. I don't remember good games. I don't remember congratulations. I I just, you know, my, my smile was pretty big. And they just kind of were staring at us as we went through shaking their hands and in disbelief, I guess. I mean, they thought they were going to easily win the game. They they had dominated the tournament. I mean, they were averaging, I think, seven or more than seven goals a game. They beat two countries like 16 and 17 to nothing. So um, it, it was almost like they couldn't believe what, what had just happened. Uh, Herb Brooks, uh, I guess because of uh, 
Um, and he certainly became immortalized in the movie, uh, you know, Kurt Russell. Uh, how close was Kurt Russell in terms of uh, his performance? How, how well did he recreate, recreate the real Herb Brooks? I, I thought Kurt Russell was brilliant as Herb Brooks. Uh, his mannerisms, his language. Um, the only difference was in the movie, Kurt was a little friendlier and a little softer than Herb, <laughs> Herb was. Herb was a little. I know people laugh when I say it, but he, he was. He was a little more intense. Uh, but I thought Kurt's performance uh, was pretty amazing. And you know, when I, when we watched the movie as a team, I think we realized that it was. It's really the Herb Brooks story, and, and we were a part of it. Um, I thought the movie captured what the moment meant to a nation, and I think the movie captured how close our team was. Um, and, and that was, I think, the, the good thing for us to watch. Herb Brooks, um, he was, I think he was quoted by yourself, maybe not, that he was way ahead of his time. What was he like? Uh, he must have had another side to him other than the tough guy act. What was he like? Well, if, if, if he did, we never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. You know, even when Herb was coaching the Rangers, I was the color commentator for the Rangers, and still he had that stern look in his face. and. I told my wife one day, uh, you know, if Herb calls, I hope he's not going to yell at me. And here I was, you know, 40-something years old with three kids, and if the phone rang, I'm like, God, I hope Herb isn't going to be mad at me for something. So he, he still had that kind of aura about him. But you said something earlier that he was ahead of his time. Um, the NHL today, they, they play the way Herb wanted us to play. Um, he, bought, he, he brought into... Our team, uh, as, as he wanted to do, a, a blend of the European game and the North American game. And when you see now players, you know, fly in the zone or crisscrossing, and and you know, which I would like to say is it was more of the international play that we did in 1980. So the, the man was brilliant when it came to the game of ice hockey and wanting to change the way we as as, as a, a U.S. team, but even the North American game and felt that in order to compete and win against the Europeans, you had to play a little more of their style than your own style. And we're uh, talking to Michael Ruzioni, of course, the captain of the U.S. Olympic team, the Miracle on Ice in 1980, scored the winning goal, and it's the 35th anniversary today of... Uh, of that uh, day in sports infamy. Uh, but what people forget, Mike, is, uh, and, we, and we just talked about it very briefly earlier, is the, you didn't win the gold medal when you, won the Rus- when you beat the Russians that day. You had, you had to come back two days later on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and I remember that game like it was yesterday as well. And if, if my memory serves me correct, uh, you guys were actually behind 2-1 to one at the end of the second period. So certainly the gold medal didn't come easy in that last game either. And, and, and Herb Brooks said something interesting uh, uh, and, uh, during the, in between the second and the third period. And uh, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, and I'll, I have to obviously leave the expletive out of it. Uh, but he said to you guys, you're down 2-1, to one. the gold medal was on the line, and he came into the dressing room and he said to you guys, if you lose this, you will take this to your... Starts with F and ends with N. Graves, is that true? Is that correct? Yes, he. You're dead on. He, he walked in the locker room, uh, and before he walked in, the energy in the locker room was incredible. Jack O'Callaghan, I mean, he said it a, a hundred times. There's no way a bunch of Finns are going to keep us from a gold medal, and nobody was sitting in their locker. They were all standing up, and everybody was like jacked and excited. 
And I, I still think that Herb kind of fed off that. And he was outside the locker room. He walked in the locker room. He stood in the middle of the locker room. He pointed his finger and he said, if you lose this game, you'll take it to your effing grave. And then he walked out. He stopped at the door and he turned around and he said, your effing grave. And the interesting part was Herb never swore. He never <laughs> heard any language like that from Herb. So I think he just brought it to the point for us to realize it. And I think we realized it and we knew it. But but I think those comments were, were dead on. I mean, we didn't go to the Olympics to win one game. We went there with the hopes and dreams of winning the whole thing. And if we lost to Finland, there was a chance we couldn't have even won a medal, um, let alone the gold medal. So uh, that was the biggest game, you know, biggest 20 minutes, and I think we played the best 20 minutes of hockey throughout the Olympics in those 20 minutes, and we're able to win the whole thing. With Mike Garuzioni, Mike, we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I know you've got some plans. You've got to, you've got to get out of town as well, and we won't keep you much longer. Uh, I just want to. I, I noticed I watched quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of video footage uh, in the last few days of of the Miracle on Ice in the Finnish game, and the one thing I noticed. All you guys celebrated like crazy, as deservedly so, after both the uh, both the the Soviet game and the Finnish game. And the cameras go to Herb Brooks, and he walks stri- he walks to the dressing room. He doesn't come on the ice, and reportedly he walked to the dressing room and he cried, uh, which may, you may find that hard to believe, but um, <laughs> apparently that's that's what happened. And I just want to I want to finish the miracle on ice and the finish story by. You guys went to the dressing room. You just won the gold medal. Herb Brooks comes into the room. What does he say to you guys? <laughs> You're going to be blown away by this. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word. Never said a thing. Um, never said a thing after we beat the Soviets. Never said a thing after we won the gold medal. Uh, at the press conference, uh, I had heard, or we had heard him say that he was very proud of our team, that he demanded more out of our team than any team he had ever coached and that he was proud, and that was it. I mean, Herb, the whole thing with Herb throughout the year was Herb was going to, it was us against him. He was going to develop a character where he was just going to stay away. Uh, He was going to be the bad guy. Uh, Craig Patrick, our assistant coach, who was a huge part of our success, people don't realize how important Craig was, um, was going to be the good guy. He was a a, a good cop, bad cop. And, And Herb let us develop the team and the chemistry that we had. He coached. And if he had ever come on the ice after we won, but I think the guys would have went, oh, now all of a sudden you want to be a part of us. He stayed true to form until, until the day he died. When we, when we had team functions, he never came. Uh, he let us enjoy him. I might get a phone call from him two days later and say, how'd the event go with the guys there? Everybody fine? And, and uh, that's, what he, that's how he was. I, I really think he would have loved to have been close to this hockey team because I really think he loved the players that he coached. But he, he wanted to maintain, uh, you know, his distance, and, and he did all the way. Of course, we haven't, you know, we've been talking about Herb Brooks here for about uh, 20 minutes. We haven't even mentioned that he tragically passed away in uh, in 2003. And, that, of course, that's why he couldn't have, he, he, I'm sure he would have been there last night and you would have loved to have had him there. But I, I don't know if he would have come last You don't night. think he would have come? I don't think he would have. I seriously... You know, I think he would have stayed away and called somebody the next day and asked how it went. Oh, wow. wow. Mike, you're currently working at Boston University. Yeah. We had, there's a kid <laughs> out there 
I knew you. I knew you. I know. I know you know what's uh, coming here. Actually, aren't there two kids? Aren't there two kids there that we should keep? Uh, I think the ones at Boston College. But Boston College. Noah Noah Anderson's at Boston College. Yeah, I stand corrected. Jack Eichel, how good is he? He's he's really good. Now you know I've seen Connor McDavid on television. I don't know who's better. Who you know? I guess it's whatever one team likes and not likes. You know, as far as players go. I've been at Boston University 20-something years. I played there. Um, he's the best freshman I've ever seen us have, and we've had some pretty good players, and Tony Amonte and Chris Jury and Keith Kachuk and Sean McEachern and Sean Bates and Jake Dandolfo and Mike Greer, guys who played in the National Hockey League and were, were good hockey players. Uh, this kid brings another element to the game. Will, will he become a great pro or really good pro? Who knows? You know, We've seen a lot of great draft picks not turn out to be as good as we thought. But he's pretty special. He, he does some things in the ice. Uh, at times, he Mar- and I, I called Mario Lemieux once when I, when I saw Jack play. I called Mario, and I, I said, boy, he just did some things in the ice that reminded me of you. Uh, he's got this long stride. He keeps the puck away from people. Um, he's really smart. He sees the ice really, really well. He, he makes really nice passes, uh, and, 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 and sometimes he reminds me a little of Mike Madonna. Um, I, I think he's going to be a very good player. I really do. And he's a great kid. Um, you know, he's somebody that, as I tell recruits when I meet him when they come to campus, he goes to class every day. He, he goes to study hall every day. Uh, so he's not just there to play hockey. I think he realizes that his opportunity at BU is, one, as a student, and, and second, as, a, as an athlete. And his game is getting better, and he's developing, um, you know, all the things, the little things I think he's going to have to do to play at the next level. Will will he come back next year at BU? We're kind of crossing our fingers that maybe one more year of college might help him uh, just work on his game and, and get all the little things that are important. But he's he's clearly a special player. He's he's pretty good. Now, uh, how would he fit in with uh, James Van Riemsdyk and Phil Kessel on the line? Because Toronto, in, uh, Toronto in, looks, in other words, Toronto look, Toronto looks like they might get uh, the uh, second. In pick. other words, we're saying we'd love to have them in a Toronto uniform than blue and white. Well, I think I think um, you know I think what was let's see isn't Buffalo going to have the number one pick? Well, they have a lottery, yeah, so it's, they, it's, it's a lottery a, system okay, now. It's lottery. different. Okay, well, well, Buffalo's probably get a, the, the best chance. Twenty percent. They would they would want him because isn't Connor's just the across the across the border so. Um, I, I, again, I, I think he would be a, a really good player. I thought, and this is how bizarre I am, I thought the Bruins the other night were going to play Subban against Edmonton and showcase him thinking Edmonton might want to trade with the Bruins and pick up Subban because Edmonton needs a goaltender and then maybe flip-flop first-round picks um, and maybe the Bruins could end up with Eichel. <laughs> well, that would be interesting. <laughs> That's just me being a little bizarre thinking. Uh I mean, Edmonton doesn't need another first-round pick. They've had about seven of them, haven't they, in the last ten years? Yeah. Uh, they've had so, they've had quite a few. They have. They, they've had quite a few. So maybe they, they're looking to trade their first pick. But uh, you know, wherever Jack goes, and I think wherever Conor McDavid goes, I think they're they're franchise type players. And uh, like I said, I, I, from a selfish standpoint, I'd like to see Jack come back one more year at BU and uh, just you know commit himself and, and fulfill. Uh, you know, some of the things that he needs to do to become a player. I remember Colin Wilson uh, was a great player at BU, and he came back for his second year, and I've heard he said uh, many times that that was one of the best things he ever did was one more year of college kind of helped him prepare to 
play at the next level. Well, we'd certainly love to see Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid in in, in the blue and white. And uh, yeah, our, you our, guys need a, you guys need more than yeah, yeah right. no yeah, kidding. We, we do, and we'll we'll certainly be talking about a little bit about that. We've been uh, the rest of the show. It's been the prime topic of discussion in Toronto for the last uh, last couple of months. Mike, listen, Mike. How about the last? the last 10 years uh, the last 47 years <laughs> anyways we've been talking to uh we've been talking to Michael Ruzioni it's February 22nd uh, 2015 it's 35 years ago today that uh we all got inspired by the miracle on ice and Jack uh, uh Mike you of course the captain of that fantastic team uh you scored the winning goal on that incredible day you guys won the gold medal you inspired a generation of hockey fans and uh, watching a lot of that video footage this week, and it still sends chills up my spine. Do you believe in miracles? Yes, we do. Michael Ruzioni, thanks for joining us on what I'm sure has been an incredibly busy weekend for you. It's been our privilege. Thanks so much. Well, guys, thank thank you for having me, and uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, it's Mike. our pleasure. Thank you so much. That was Michael Ruzioni on uh, the 35th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. Before we go to break, Naz, uh, very quickly, where were you 35 years ago today watching that game? I was at uh, Humber College, I believe, at that time. And uh, uh, it, was quite, it was quite amazing what happened, just quite amazing. You don't realize, because we're at the age that we... We go back a long way, Wally. And uh, yeah, it was a Friday that, afternoon at five o'clock. Yeah, it's the game started. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was working part time. Uh, I was in my last year of university, working part time at the beer store, and I had a five o'clock shift, uh, which I could have got somebody else to take that shift, but I didn't think that that was going to be anything of a game. And uh, fortunately, our store manager, the uh, uh, gentleman by the name of Jerry Ezra, uh, I brought that. in. Uh, Brought in uh, a television with the rabbit ears. Remember those days? Producer Neil Durning. We had the rabbit ears. We focused them in the right direction and uh, didn't take the game seriously until probably till the, you know, right around the middle of the third period when the U.S. scored two goals in succession. And we were captivated for the last seven, eight minutes of that game. And I remember the last two minutes, I, I think the whole store shut down and we were watching the game with about 10 or 15 customers uh, put their beer on hold so we could watch. And it was just, just the most amazing thing. And the incredible part of that, uh, of that that people forget is the Al Michaels Do You Believe in Miracles call? Nobody actually heard it live. Uh, uh, the I think it was ABC at the time chose not to broadcast that. Delay. It was on a tape delay. Yeah. So most of America didn't know the results of that game till later on that evening. Of course, in Canada, we were watching it on CTV. Uh, but the greatest sports call in history was not actually made live, which is which is kind of uh, kind of a, a footnote in the history books. Anyways, you've been listen, listening to Nazawali Sports Hour. We'll be right back after this short break. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville during our All About the Taste event. If you agree that Pizzaville's delicious margarita pizza is the best tasting margarita pizza you've ever had, go to pizzaville.ca and enter to win a trip to Italy's Amalfi Coast. If you don't think it's the best tasting margarita pizza, you can still enter to win a different trip. You can go to hell. Michigan. For details, go to pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. 
They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. Discover Villanova College, York Region's only independent co-educational Catholic school. We offer small class sizes and a commitment to academic excellence towards properly preparing students for university and lifelong success. If you are a young person or a parent seeking more from today's education, then take a moment to learn more about Villanova College. Find out about our specialized enrichment programs, including STEM and advanced placement. For information regarding admissions or to schedule a personal tour, visit VillanovaCollege.org. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 radio. Uh, that was certainly an interesting interview with uh, Mike Arruzioni. said some really interesting things that totally sort of caught me off guard. The one about Herb Brooks didn't say anything to them after the, after, after the greatest sports upset in history. And the coach doesn't go in, and he doesn't say anything. And he didn't that's, say that's, anything. And if he was alive, I wouldn't, he didn't. I wouldn't have expected that answer. I wouldn't have expected that answer. And if he was alive, he didn't think that he would have been at the reunion last night. That's a very interesting comment. Uh, Sounds like uh, Brooks uh, left the team build its own uh, continuity. Yeah, it, 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 there, there's a coaching. Um, I, I think to, at certain times, Scotty Bowman uh, sort of used the same thing. It's sort of if you can create. You know, sometimes you can bond a team by 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 the coach becoming the enemy, right? So they're all bonding uh, and you know trying to prove something to a coach who who's uh, not their friend. And and some of the greatest coaches, you know, Scotty Bowman. Uh, I mean, the uh, you know he was obviously the when we talked to him on the show, the the greatest coach in hockey history. Um, he was certain, and we talked to Steve Shutt about Scotty Bowman. Um, he was certainly uh, not the. He wasn't, I would say, loved by his players, but 
but he was certainly respected to uh, to no end by his players. And I guess that's ultimately what you want: the relationship yeah, between a team and its coach. As long as you have respect, it doesn't matter whether you like or love your coach. As long as you respect them. Just just think of uh, Mike Ruzioni. He comes on our show. That our show is the first show in North America. He goes on on the anniversary of the. The Russian game, and we had him. That's a, it's, I just well, I, we you know like uh, we we've amazing. been doing uh, we we you know we 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 love to interview some of these. Uh, I don't like to use the word older because that dates us as well, Naz. No, but, well, uh, you can use older. some of the seasoned veterans. I guess we're seasoned veterans is a yeah. better way of putting it. And uh, you know when you're talking, uh, you know, and they love to talk some of these people from these eras, and they've got some fantastic stories to tell. So much more so than you know. You get a current athlete on, and they they don't you know they don't. That's you know, they, so true. They, they, they give you your standard cliches. You got your standard questions and your standard answers, and uh, you know you get a whole bunch of cliches, and uh, you don't really get much. Anyways, you know I'm sure our listeners might have uh, some thoughts on their mind on the Leafs or the Miracle on Ice. Give us a call. We'd like to open up the lines. Four one six three six zero zero seven four zero one eight six six. Seven four zero four seven four zero. Once again, uh, those numbers. I'll give them to you again. Four one six three six zero zero seven four zero one eight six six seven four zero four seven four zero. Give us a call. You want to talk about the miracle on ice? You want to talk about the Leafs? You want to talk about Morgan Riley, who got himself I in hot talk, water? I want to this talk week. about and Legends, Legends Row. Row. Okay, That's what I want to talk about. Now there was an announcement. Uh, yesterday on on the Legends Road down at the ACC, Naz, tell us uh, tell us your thoughts on that. Well, let me tell you something. I'm old enough to remember George Armstrong playing the Chief. Yes, yeah. I'm not old enough to remember Selaps playing, so I can't really talk about Selaps. But let me talk about George Armstrong, who was a tremendous Leaf. Is Dave Keon going to be on this Legends Row? He you, should have been there you, already. Okay, you're trying to get me upset again this morning, Naz. I don't understand. I, don't understand I like it. George Armstrong. I think he was a great player for us. But Dave Keon not being again. on Legends Row again? Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, we've been over this territory. We had Dave Keon on the show back in uh, just after Jean Beliveau passed away, and we talked to Dave Keon for 16 minutes. And uh, Dave Keon, quite frankly, and by all uh, experienced observers who've been watching Toronto Maple Leaf hockey for the last 50, 60, 70 years, whatever, however far back you can possibly go, is, is the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf in history. Um, you and I have had this discussion. Uh, he led us to four Stanley Cups. Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Uh, would have been a Conn Smythe Trophy winner in, in a couple of the earlier uh, uh, years, but they didn't have the Conn Smythe Trophy when the Leafs won their three Cups in the early 60s. Um, best two-way hockey player I've ever seen play, uh, other than perhaps Bobby Orr, uh, and certainly should be, should have been the first inductee on Legends Row. And, you know, he's had his issues with, uh, with the Leaf management in the past, and maybe that's behind this. Maybe they'd asked him, and he turned it down. I don't know, but uh, and we don't know the criteria for how they select legends. Wally, right? but Dave Keon should be there. Wally, what should happen? Okay, in situations like this, yeah, there is an argument between the Leafs and Dave Keon. Show some balls 
and name him to Legends Row, no matter if you're fighting with for him or fans. not. That's Do right. Do it for the fans. Do it for the fans because he deserves to be there. That's okay? right. Absolutely. And the fighting between the two has, should have nothing to do with Legends Row. Dave Keon deserves to be on Legends Row, and he should have been in at least the first two. And his name should be hung from the rafters. Absolutely. His sweater should be hung from the rafters, and you and I have no disagreement on this one. Anyways, we've got a call. We got a, Actually, we've got uh, lines are lighting up this morning. We must have touched a few nerves. We've got uh, the general is back, the general from Etobicoke. General, what's, uh, what's on your mind this morning? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, how are we this morning? We're great. doing great. How are you? Thank you. Good. Hey, listen, great show. Uh, I, I just, uh, that J- Jerry Ezra, you know, there's a, there's a blast from the past. <laughs> there's a blast from the past. That, that name kind of woke me up and I thought, I got to give the boys a call. But, uh, yeah, I remember that, that uh, broadcast. And I remember it, uh, ABC used to uh, always tape delay their, their stuff, even the Olympics. And I was always wondering what happened. I heard the results before, but then they showed it afterwards. And that was a bit of a shame. But uh, I, I love that game. I remember it. And, uh and I thought it was one of the greatest uh, uh, upsets in, in, in the history of sport. And uh, uh, Mike Ruzioni, class guy, and uh, I was just uh, I was still disappointed that he uh, he sold a lot of his memorabilia. A lot of it went on auction. He got a lot of money for that stuff. But uh, I'm glad that, uh, from all accounts, he kept the uh, the gold medal. He kept medal the gold medal. He kept yeah. a couple of small. Yeah, he mementos. donated a lot of that money too. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah, which was a nice thing as well, and uh, hopefully it found uh, a good place because uh, I would love nothing better than to have, hang a couple of those trinkets in my. Uh, in my uh, cave downstairs, but uh, anyway, that was, it was a it was a great show, and uh, you guys always got to uh, put a little twist on it by by adding the Leafs in there. You know, you always got to upset the uh, the, uh, the world of hockey. Well, D, the, you know what, D General, the Leafs keep giving us material. You know, yeah, we just you know we what, just can't turn it away. Listen, Dave Keon, we, we were te- we were tweeting back and forth last night, texting and everything else with some of the guys. You know what? What were they doing, bringing some of those other clowns out there on the ice? Uh, along with Armstrong and and Kelly Darcy and, and Tucker, and, Darcy you know, like, Tucker, yeah, like that's ridiculous. Come on, guys, they got to do a better job of surrounding those icons with with I, I, I don't know legitimate hockey players or or people for that. Like, what was Johnny Bauer? D General, I got you know that that may be the problem with uh, with Toronto Maple Leaf hockey the last forty seven years. How many how many icons are there in the last forty seven years? Well, whoever. You know, there, there aren't a hell of a lot of them. I got to be honest with you. Out. They have to bring those guys out. They got to be around there, and and they got to be in the process as well of some sort. You know, when they parade them down the middle of the ice. I mean, that was, you know, and and Davy Keon. I mean, that just goes without saying. I mean, he he should have been number one of the number one guys on that list. And they should. I agree with you guys 100. percent Put them out there. Don't worry about who's fighting with you. Who cares? You know Put what? Him. He'll come around. It's for the fans. Anyways, we like to thank D General for your call. Thanks for. Uh, uh, calling in and uh, thanks, guys. Have a great day. We you will. Too. Anyways, we'd like to go to. Uh, we got another caller, uh, Al. Al from Toronto. What's on your mind this morning, Al? Naz Wally, Al from Toronto. I know you're going to uh, remember who I am, Naz. I know exactly where you were. Oh, hold on, we meet. Oh no, boy. <laughs> Anyways, Al, uh, well, rather than getting into <laughs> Naz's historical past here, let's uh, give us your thoughts on uh, the miracle on ice and your recollections. Well, first of all, I was with Naz watching that game. We were at Humber College together, drove back to his place, and watched it with his dad in in uh, the living room. Oh That's wow! Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and your recollections of the game? You shocked? Well, we, we were shocked. We were there to uh, talk about, uh, you know, getting the Western Rangers, uh, me playing for the Rangers and talking about ball hockey. And then, you know, we started watching the game and that all went by the wayside. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, Thirty-five years ago today, it's it's uh, hard to hard to believe that much time has gone by. Listen, Al, thanks for your call. We appreciate uh, appreciate you calling in and and yeah, no uh, certifying thanks, certifying for us exactly where Naz was thirty-five years ago today at Humber College. Uh, probably uh, you're down in uh, were you were you doing scotch and sodas in those days, no, Naz? Are you still days. working I on beers in those scotch days? Scotch and sodas back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You acquired the scotch and soda taste somewhere along the line, or your uh, our pocket. Books maybe enlarged a little bit from the twenty-five cent draft beers we used to down back in I those days. I think they were less than that. Twenty-five. I mean, used to do a few, quaff a few at Humber College and quaff a few at uh, at some of the pubs at York University. Anyways, uh, we'll be uh, time to go to our our next break, and we'll be right back after the break with more of your calls. It was a rainy day when our all about the taste event continued at Pizzaville. If you agree that Pizzaville's bacon cheeseburger pizza is the best tasting bacon cheeseburger pizza you've ever had, go to pizzaville.ca and enter to win a ski trip to Alberta. If you don't think it's the best tasting bacon cheeseburger pizza, enter to win a different trip, because you might feel more at home in Big Knob, Kentucky. For details, go to pizzaville.ca. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Discover Villanova College, York Region's only independent co-educational Catholic school. We offer small class sizes and a commitment to academic excellence towards properly preparing students for university and lifelong success. If you are a young person or a parent seeking more from today's education, then take a moment to learn more about Villanova College. Find out about our specialized enrichment programs, including STEM and advanced placement. For information regarding admissions or to schedule a personal tour, visit VillanovaCollege.org. 
The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 radio. We've got a few minutes left. If you've got something on your mind, by all means, give us a call. Those call-in numbers, once again, 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Once again, 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Those are our call-in numbers. Give us a call. Tell us what's on your mind this morning in the sports world. Naz, just before we went to break, we were talking about Legends Roll. Legends Row down at Air Canada Centre, and uh, you just want to make uh, one point clear that... Uh, yeah, there was no... I didn't mean to slight uh, George Armstrong or Celebs, because I think they deserve to be there, but I'm just pointing out that Dave Keon should have been there a long time ago. Absolutely. And uh, uh, once again, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, always seem to get in the news, and a controversial story this week, Morgan Riley. Okay, Morgan Riley. Um, said something a little bit off the cuff that he got himself in a little bit of hot water about. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that what did seemed, he say, Well, He said, uh, you know, they're working hard and doing the best job they can, but uh, you're not here to be a girl about it. And some people found that comment extremely offensive. Um, did he apologize? He apologized two hours later, apparently. Because uh, the Toronto sports media and uh, what they call, I guess it's called the Twitterverse nowadays. I, you know, you and I are getting up, but they're a little bit up in age, and they've got this new invention called Twitter, where you know if somebody doesn't like something, they go and put 140 words down there and get everybody all upset. Um, the kid, any, any reason the kid is 20 years is it, old. 20 years old. Why are the the media is brutal here? This is the worst city for media that I've ever seen, especially when they're covering the hockey team. They are absolutely brutal. And, um, you know, a lot of people found that comment offensive. Uh, I guess it, it perpetrates, uh, I guess somehow it perpetrates some, uh, some type of a stereotype that somehow, uh, you know, women are the weaker sex and, uh, you know, they shouldn't be constantly reminded about this. And I've got to be careful because I've got a lot of strong-willed women in my <laughs> life, uh, both at home and at work. So I've got to choose my words carefully. But I've, I've certainly never found the women to be the weaker sex, although, I mean, there are some serious... Uh, serious issues up there out there that we don't necessarily want to want to joke about and some of them have been highlighted in uh, in the last year you know uh, you know it's funny sexual we, assault we've talked about with about the Ray Rice thing in the University of so there are some serious issues yeah, there those uh, are serious issues you know but i, I just serious, think i like just that. think they just went completely overboard on what i didn't think was an extremely offensive comment uh, it was a 20 year old kid trying to be funny and quite frankly, I didn't think he even had, they had to rush him to a microphone to apologize. It was a 20-year-old kid that said something stupid that some people went way overboard and found offensive. I found, you know, I got into discussion uh, last night concerning uh, what the Leafs need. Uh, you know what the Leafs need? 
They need a coach who can handle the media as well as the players. And I, I've only seen one of them in the past 25 years with the Leafs. Who's that? And that's Pat Quinn. Pat Quinn. He was able to take the team and keep them away from the media Plus, he, he, handled, I, I, he handled he handled it really great. well. First of all, he had a lot of experience. Yeah. Number one, I mean, he, he was ex- a, he was special. He Pat was. Quinn was special. Like Pat Burns was a great coach too, but he didn't handle the media all that great. Well, Pat uh, Quinn Pat, was amazing. His and, personality uh, was more of an even keel. Number one, Pat Quinn. Uh, I mean, he could get upset, uh, and he was he was certainly physically imposing. And he could, you know, he could he could glare at you and uh, get his message across. Uh, but he had a lot of experience too. I mean, he had he had the Philadelphia Flyer team in 1980 that won 30, 30 games in a row or 33 games. I can't even remember the numbers. Uh, I mean, he had a career with the Vancouver Canucks. Went to uh, didn't he take them to the Stanley Cup final in 1994? No, he did Rangers. Yeah. Uh, then he came to Toronto, and I guess what helped out in Toronto for the early part of his existence was that uh, he had a, he had a fairly successful team. I mean, they, it wasn't they were not successful until he came. Yeah, I mean, they, well, they were knocking on the door quite a few times when when Quinn was around, and he won the gold medal in uh, in two thousand and two for Canada. So yeah, that he certainly won the gave junior him too. Won, it, so that certainly gave him a certain level of respect, I think, that uh, other coaches haven't I, I haven't been granted that respect, and perhaps because they never earned it. Well, Randy Carlyle uh, won a Stanley Cup, but yeah. he didn't handle the media all that well either, right? He was better than Ron but Wilson. The, the, you know what? But, that, that's fine. But did the media you know give Randy Carlyle a chance in this city? I mean, come on. Did they really give him a chance? No, I'm just saying Randy you, you didn't. Pointed ha- out, I didn't I, you pointed out a stat before we went on the air. I want you to repeat that stat on the air, Ness. Which stat was the that? The stat about you know where we are today, the Toronto Maple Leafs in the standings, from the from the day that Randy Carlisle got fired, he was, if they, they had were in a playoff if, if Leafs, if all they had have done was played 500 they hockey, would be one where point, would they be right be now? They'd be one point out of a playoff spot. That's right. One point out of a playoff spot if they all they had have because done was Boston, play 500 Boston hockey suffered. from the day Carlisle got fired. What does that tell you? If you're, if you're going to fire Carlisle, make sure you have a proper replacement. I've said that before and say that again. But the Leafs, the media here is brutal, and it's very difficult. And you heard Paul Maurice on a quote saying, when, the, when somebody talks to you from Toronto, it's tenfold in comparison to any other city, including Montreal. That's how. That's a high pressure in this city. That's high pressure in this city, and they've got to find somebody who's going to coach that team. They're looking for their next coach. Who's going to coach that team and have the respect of the media, and handle the media and handle the players. I only see one guy out there. Who do you see? Mike Babcock. And uh, I, I don't would, know. I don't know if that's going to happen. But that's the only guy I see. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's going to happen because uh, I, I have, given what's transpired in this hockey market. I mean, we've been through 40, 47 years of misery, but you know what? The last couple, the last since Carlisle got fired, I mean, this has pretty been pretty miserable. Um, you know, they 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 they, they completely obliterated uh, their record. They're on their way to to dis- completely destroying the team in terms of ripping it apart and and we hope that they have some kind of plan that that there, there's some kind of plan behind this anyways it's a topic 
I guess for another show again, Naz, uh, our time has come to an end. Uh, you've been listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour uh, live on AM740. I wish everyone a fantastic week. Have a great week, Naz, and uh, hope you join us again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.